0: Tom Girardi spent decades as one of the most successful plaintiff's attorneys in America. He took on some of the world's largest companies in court and won hundreds of millions of dollars for victims. He was a pillar of the California bar. He took judges on Mediterranean cruises. The parties he threw at his posh Pasadena mansion were legendary. But in 2020, it all came crashing down. Tom was accused of stealing money from clients. His law firm shuttered. His celebrity wife divorced him. And he admitted to a federal judge that he was broke. How did it all go so wrong? This is Law 360 Explores, The Fall of Tom Girardi.
1: Tom had
2: charm about him that was just endless. Tom never ceased to let people know there would be no Aaron Brockovich had it not been for Tom Girardi.
3: He seemed to help the underdog, you know, and and went against this huge company. So it just seemed like he was a great fit.
1: The first time he didn't pay a lawyer he owed money to is when it began. It's a slippery slope, isn't it? I mean, once you get on that slope, it's just
4: the question is, how fast are you going to go down that slope? When she said, I'm divorcing him, I said, this is really bad.
3: How could somebody who makes so much and apparently steals so much, and how could he have no money? Don't worry about everything. We're friends. Things are going to work out good. Goodbye.
0: I'm Amber McKinney. This is the first episode of a two-part series exploring the downfall of Tom Girardi. You might know Tom from a few different things. Maybe you're an attorney in California who knew him by reputation. He was a big-shot plaintiff's attorney. Or you watched the blockbuster Julia Roberts movie, Aaron Brockovich, and know he had something to do with that case. So
2: before you come back here with another lame-ass offer, I want you to think real hard about what your spine is worth, Mr. Walker. Or what you might expect someone to pay you for your uterus, Miss Sanchez. Then you take out your calculator and you multiply that number by a hundred. Anything less than that is a waste of our time. By the way, we had that water brought in special for you folks. Came from Well and Hinkley.
0: Or if you're like me, you're just a real Housewives fan, and you've seen him on Bravo with his wife, Erica Jane.
3: Tea. Yes, ma'am? Are you ready? I hope so. Let me see. Ooh, you clean up good. (laughs) I got you looking just right.
2: Got to make sure the jury likes me today.
3: Every day. My husband is the nation's leading plaintiff's attorney. You probably know him from the Aaron Brockovich case. Tom's biggest verdict is
4: over a billion bucks.
0: So I knew him as an older fellow, married to a young housewife that lives in a big mansion. He'd occasionally pop up in scenes supporting her career as a budding pop star. You
3: know that video? That was an expensive video. It was worth it. It's expensive to yes, it's to die for! We're so rich, we just can't take it! It's nice because I'm dancing with boys and girls in this video. I think that's the first video I've ever had where I danced with both. And it's fun.
2: And I, I like the fact that it's named Expensive. It kind of suits you.
0: (laughs) But there's a lot more to know about Tom, and we have just the person at Law360 to tell us about him, our own investigative reporter, Brandon Lowry. You might have seen Brandon talking about this scandal for a recent ABC Hulu special called The Housewife and the Hustler. Brandon's been covering the unraveling of Tom Girardi since last year, and he's going to share with us everything he learned. Brandon, uh, it's hard to know where to start, but let's begin with just what you think of when you hear the name Tom Girardi.
5: I think of a really important plaintiff's lawyer in Los Angeles, or at least that's what I used to think. He has been a big deal in Los Angeles for a really long time, long before any of us were born. And he was the guy featured in Aaron Brockovich, as you'd mentioned. Um, He won that big $333 million settlement for the poor residents of this tiny desert town, Hinkley. He's taken on some very big companies, and he came away with... Multi-million dollar or even billion-dollar settlements or judgments pretty regularly. So this guy in Los Angeles, in, in the Los Angeles legal world, uh, there's nobody bigger. And of course, that reputation as a winning attorney, it all changed. Uh, and we're going to break that down here.
0: Yeah, we certainly are going to break down how this shifted. But let's begin with him being a big deal in California legal circles. How did that all begin? Let's go into his background.
5: So Tom graduated from Loyola Law School in Los Angeles and started practicing around 1965. And it was pretty quick that he became a big deal. Uh, Within about five years of starting to practice law, he won the largest medical malpractice verdict in California history at the time. Uh, I believe it was the first to break $1 million. Um, So after that, he just kept going and he just snowballed. His reputation became bigger with every victory uh, he really knew how to take advantage of every high profile event that he got involved in. Uh, he, he just kept on racking up wins. And finally, uh, what really put him on the national stage was probably the Aaron Brockovich case.
0: We've mentioned Aaron Brockovich a few times. Um, for anybody who hasn't seen that in a while, that's the Julia Roberts movie where she works with an attorney at a small firm. And that's not actually Tom Girardi. The character based on Tom comes in toward the end of the movie. Um, he's the one with a bunch of cash that helps keep the case afloat until they can land a big settlement.
5: Yeah, that's right. The main attorney in the movie is based on a guy named Ed Masry, who ran out of money while he's putting the case together. Tom was the ultimate closer. So he had all the cash and the credibility that was needed to take that case over the finish line. So when the movie became a big hit with all the Oscar buzz and everything, Tom basically used it as his business card. He's not the main focus of the movie. He's not even mentioned in the movie, but you might not guess that by the way he was self-promoting using the movie. I spoke with a lot of people who talked about Tom's just epic talent for self-promotion, including his biographer, Dennis McDougall. Tom, you know,
2: never ceased to let people know that that was him and that He created Aaron Brockovich. There would be no Aaron Brockovich had it not been for Tom Girard. I don't think that's true, but I do think that he he deserves um, credit for coming in and and saving the day when Masri ran out of money. One thing that Tom was expert at was pulling a, a rabbit out of a hat, especially when it came to Uh, big-name, big-time, big-money cases.
0: Tom's really good at positioning himself, and it sounds like his firm was landing lots of big clients. So I'm sure there's also lots of money involved.
5: There was a ton, and Tom was really all about flaunting it. Just about all of his friends and acquaintances described him as being extremely generous, and he had a lot of friends. So he would throw parties for everybody at the drop of the hat. And uh, these weren't just like, normal parties. These were, these were like Gatsby-esque affairs at his, uh, you know, his big mansion in Pasadena. And these parties got him access to a lot of famous and influential and, and powerful people. And he could impress them and form relationships with them uh, that would end up kind of helping to, to make him more influential and more legendary in the Los Angeles legal scene. Uh, Pierce O'Donnell was a friend of Tom's, and he was a really big trial lawyer in his own right. And he told us just how over the top some of these parties were.
1: When he started getting money, he was super generous. I mean, he would bring the Beach Boys to his backyard when one of our lawyer groups was in town, and he would bring Willie Nelson to a hotel, and he'd bring Paul Anka. And those are three or four, three I remember, okay? And, uh, So that endeared you to the fellow officers of an organization. They said, well, if Tom's the president's group, I know we'll have good parties and we'll have good uh, annual meetings.
0: I think what Pierce was saying that really stuck out to me is that he used his money to throw parties and do other things that really endeared himself to fellow officers of organizations and other people that were pretty influential. So he basically became the friend you wanted to have Cause he was going to invite you to those parties. He's going to take you on a trip and put you on his private jet. There's even a story about him subsidizing a fancy cruise for a group of judges and some other bigwigs. I, I just think all that stuff's a really good way to ingratiate yourself with the most powerful people in the law in California.
5: Oh, absolutely. And it just became known that you wanted to know Tom Girardi because any conference, uh, you know, he would throw the best after parties, uh, you know, in Christmas time, he threw the best Christmas party. Uh, you just you wanted to be at a Tom Girardi party if you were in the legal world in Los Angeles.
1: He was a whirling dervish. I mean, if Tom Girardi got in an organization, it was only a question of how many years before he was president of it. There no question about it. He threw himself in. Look, the guy's was the most charming person on the planet. Okay, you know, they, he could talk uh, the the skin off of a rattlesnake. Okay. And, I don't, and uh, I'm not demeaning either him or the rattlesnake. It's just Tom had charm about him that was just endless, an endless uh, bottomless uh, fount of charm and hardworking. And he, he had just instincts about people.
5: So Tom was really flashy. He liked to flaunt his wealth, his uh, planes, his parties. And part of that was his wife. He liked to show off his wife. She was beautiful. She was 33 years younger than him and uh, he he just he'd like to show her off to people.
0: Yeah, Brandon, this is where I really can come in strong with all of my Bravo television knowledge because we're talking about Erica Jane. She was married to Tom before she joined The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. For a long time, she was just by his side as a dutiful wife to this powerful man, but later on down the road, she decided to get serious about her own dreams of a singing career under the stage name Erica Jane. So that led her to landing her gig on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and she made a real splash as a housewife. She didn't hide at all that she was bankrolled by a successful husband. She sings songs about how expensive it is to live her life, and she went on a bunch of interviews and bragged about spending about $40,000 a month on glam. So that's like clothes and hair and makeup, that whole entourage that travels around with her to put her together as this would-be pop star. And she also regularly talked about things like using Tom's private jet to get to performances. Maybe I can jump on the small plane and meet you down in Del Mar.
3: We have two airplanes in the family. So, you know, the little one is more regional and the larger one is cross country in Europe.
0: So we had this evolving public display from this couple of how they were on top of the world that Tom was successful. Erica was gaining success in her singing career and on TV and they were just living this crazy, lavish lifestyle.
5: yeah, there was a, a period of time where everybody knew that they were extremely wealthy. They knew that Tom was really successful and he'd won like every award you could possibly win for being a lawyer. and you know he was charming and nice on top of that. Uh, you know it's it's hard to overstate just how impressive he was and how impressive Erica was. They were they were a power couple.
0: Tom seems like the kind of guy at this point in his life that could have gotten involved in any case he wanted, right?
5: Yeah. Tom took on a lot of really big cases involving a lot of people. So we're talking sometimes thousands of clients at a time. And these cases, just because of the sheer size of them, naturally result in you know, big settlements or, or judgments. Uh, so if there was ever a case that was worth tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars or even billions, there's a pretty decent chance that Tom would somehow be involved in some way. He also took some major personal injury cases that involved some big companies that he could get a lot of money out of. Uh, Some of these cases just involved one or two clients at a time.
0: Let's talk about one of those cases relating to the San Bruno pipeline explosion. Walk us through the facts of what happened there.
5: So back in September of 2010, a natural gas pipeline blew up under a neighborhood in a Bay Area city called San Bruno. It destroyed some homes and hurt and killed several people, including a 19-year-old named Joseph Rua Gomez. Joseph was burned over most of his body. He was left comatose for, I think it was was over a month, and he was in really bad shape. His girlfriend was with him when the pipeline exploded and she died in the fire. his uh his mother Kathy ended up hiring Tom Girardi to represent the family against Pacific Gas and Electric, uh, which uh, you know owned and, and maintained that pipeline. She told me how impressed she was by Tom's reputation.
3: I looked and seen that he was, you know, on his his website or whatnot, all the different you know, cases he had won. I watched the Aaron Brockovich movie, you know, so I mean it, and then I just read, you know, all these cases, how he was just getting huge settlement cases and that he seemed to help the underdog, you know, and 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 win against these huge companies. He had the money to go, you know, against these huge companies, which, you know, is needed because, you know, he's PG&E and other big companies are just, you know, always, you know, win with their amounts of money. So he was gonna upfront, you know, everything if needed. And yeah, so it just seemed like he was a great fit. It wasn't until later, you know, after we settled, that, you know, when I looked into them is when I started really finding some very, you know, disturbing things.
0: Kathy talks about disturbing things. So, Brandon, let's skip ahead to that. What ultimately happened to the Rui Gomez family?
5: Well, at first, Kathy was really happy. You know, Tom would come and visit her son in the hospital. She, he seemed to dote on him uh, and kind of he insisted on in handling everything to keep her stress to a minimum. You know, don't worry about the litigation stuff. I've got that. He would tell her things didn't get weird until a settlement was actually reached with pg and uh, Kathy says that he never fully disclosed how much the settlement was for, but by that point, she was just tired and worn down and had all these medical bills to pay. And she just wanted it all to be over. So she ended up signing a signature page that, uh, that he gave her that didn't have any of the terms of the settlement for her to see.
3: Well, I, I I was just trying to get the amount. Like, but finally I'm like, well, how much is the actual settlement? And he was like, Oh, it's got the potential to be, you know, millions and millions. Like, where well, it was like, okay. And then he You know, because at the time, you know, I'm thinking I don't know why I wasn't more direct, but yeah, it was like we were just really, like, in a bad place then, very, I would say, just weak. And so it was like, okay. And then it was like, here, sign. You need to sign here. It was just a signature page, you know, to agree that you know you want to settle. So it was like, okay. So you know, we signed it. And then when I we left, you know, talking with my daughter and my husband and my son, it was like, okay, so what exactly was the settlement amount? Nobody could tell me. So he didn't tell anybody exactly what the settlement was for.
0: So now I'm wondering, did they get any of their money?
5: Not all of it, no. Tom talked the family into letting him manage the settlement for them. Uh, He said he was going to invest it and dole out the funds as needed. He did pay out some of the money early on, but that dried up and Tom just started dodging their calls. I think one time this family he'd represented for years, uh, when she called, his secretary told her that he had lost their phone number. Uh, So it's just, you know, it, it got really strange and Kathy got really worried and really frustrated. So they ended up suing in 2019. And in mediation, Tom ended up agreeing to pay $12 million to the family. Uh, He made the first payment for $1 million, but then the payment stopped coming after that. The family pulled him into a deposition at that point, and Tom ended up admitting that all of his money was gone.
3: Yeah, it was very, very scary. Like, what's happening? Like, how could somebody who makes so much and apparently steals so much and how could he have no money? And then Erica, you know, spending it like crazy on the TV show. um, Yeah, it was really, really, like, scary to think, like, we wouldn't even have a choice um, to get it. Because I was really in my head, you know, in a good, you know, in the best scenario would be that we would be able to prove all this stuff, we would get our money back, we'd even be able to get maybe a lot of punitive damages back. And maybe people who had cases thrown out in the past, or people currently who he, claiming he owes them, could all finally get their money from him. And now it's like, wow, you know, he doesn't even have any money. <laughs> yeah, it was just, yeah, it was very, very scary. Mm-hmm.
0: Did this happen to other clients besides the Ru Gomez family?
5: So many more. Uh, there were widows and orphans of plane crash victims. There were elderly cancer patients who said he took millions from their settlements. Uh, there were families who lived on, on land that was poisoned by, uh, uh, you know, chemical companies. Blue-collar workers exposed to chemicals, earthquake survivors. There are literally dozens of cases where clients accused him of taking money. Uh, but there could very well be more where the clients didn't realize what had happened or just never came forward if they did. Uh, a lot of people who came to Tom were already hurt and desperate for help and probably didn't have a whole lot of fight left in them or just knowledge of the legal system.
0: This is really um, where the rubber meets the road with this story, because just listening to you list off all of those people, it's it's people who are clearly very distressed. And it's a long list. So how far back does Tom's stealing actually go?
5: It's hard to say. I've reviewed thousands of pages of court documents. I've interviewed a lot of people in Tom's orbit. And it's clear that these kinds of accusations have been around a long time, like at least since the, the early 1990s. It started before Aaron Brockovich made him a star. Uh, in fact, the people in that Aaron Brockovich movie uh, ended up complaining that Tom and the other lawyers might have taken too much from their settlements.
0: Tom seems to have cultivated this myth that he was basically the crusader for the little guy. And what you're breaking down here is that in large respects, that was all a lie.
5: Yeah. You know, I mean, Tom's biographer, Dennis McDougal, he gave me an earful about how Tom treated clients after a case was won. Um, He was really kind of, uh, I I guess you could say, disappointed and, and confused after he went and looked into the uh, the events that were depicted
2: in aaron brockovich i heard about this case from him so often that i decided well in order to uh, really make this ring true in in the book i need to go out there and talk to the people out there about tom girardi and and his position as uh, the messiah so i went out there and it's been a couple of days and i knocked around and i talked to people First thing I learned is that nobody, I mean nobody, not one person, the old timers, the, the, the chamber of commerce types, the shopkeepers, the, uh, the bartenders, there was not one person that I came across in that little town who knew who Tom Girardi was, let alone what uh, role he played or his firm played in, in the case. And the second thing I learned is that uh, even though, you know, the movie had a Hollywood ending where everybody gets um, paid off and uh, people live happily ever after and Aaron Brockovich um, shoots off into the sunset on the back of her boyfriend's motorcycle, uh, there was no happy ending. And in fact, to this day, if you go out to that crummy little place, you will find that people are still being poisoned. The groundwater is still lousy and nothing was ever actually resolved. A few people got some money. But when I visited, and this was like, you know, not that many years ago, probably five or six years ago. People were still drinking a bottle of water because the water was shitty and they didn't want their children dying from it. So I bought a T-shirt from a local bar uh, with the name of the town across the front of it. And I took it back to Los Angeles with me. I marched into Tom's office and I gave him the T-shirt and said, here. And he said, what's this? I said, It's a T-shirt. I just bought it from uh, the town. He said, what town? I said, "Uh, Aaron Brockovich's town. I just spent the weekend there, you know, talking to all the people uh, whose lives you saved. And I got to tell you, Tom, um, you may want to go back out there and start signing people up again because PG&E really didn't clean up the water at all. And people are still dying from the groundwater. Tom said, uh, thank you for the T-shirt. Let's go across the street and have a glass of wine. And that was the last that I ever heard about it from him.
0: Things were maybe never as good as Tom Jordy wanted people to believe. Has he been scamming people his whole career?
5: Well, it seems like people have been accusing him of doing bad things for most of his career anyway. And for a long time, he had enough money to handle any of the fallout from these cases. One of his former tax bookkeepers in the 1990s had told me that uh, he spent money without care, but he made enough to never run out. And that might've been true back in the 90s, but things started to look pretty grim over the past few years. Uh, he had taken out a bunch of really big loans and he wasn't able to pay them back. And his successful law firm, uh, Geordie Keese, um, used to have in the neighborhood of 40 lawyers. And uh, by the end of last year, it just had like three or four. One of them was his brother. So he admitted in September of 2020 that he was dead broke. Erica filed for divorce in November. And at this point, it's it's just, it's looking terrible. Lenders are suing him. Other lawyers are suing him because he'd stiffed them on their share of attorney's fees. It didn't end up blowing up publicly until a lawyer named Jay Edelson in Chicago filed this really sensational complaint accusing him of stealing money from plane crash victims that they represented. Uh, Edelson had partnered with Geordi to represent these surviving relatives against Boeing, and they settled the cases. But for months, Edelson couldn't get any straight answers about when to expect its share of the attorney's fees. Jay told me that he wasn't too worried
4: at first. In the plaintiffs' bar, that's actually fairly common, where you work with uh, firms and then they owe you a bunch of money and they delay things or try to renegotiate. So when they kept giving us the runaround, they had, you know, fifty different excuses, all that made no sense of why the money supposedly hadn't come in. Our view was they they just don't want to pay us uh, and. That wasn't that concerning because, you know, our, we were going to get paid at some point and we weren't, uh, we weren't terribly anxious about it. Um, but when, when Erica filed for divorce, that's when I, I remember speaking to my partners and saying, based on my view, uh, my view always was that Erica and Tom had a transactional relationship and the thing that would get her to leave would be when the money was gone. So when she said, I'm divorcing him, I said, this is really bad. Uh, I'll bet that this isn't just about our fees. I'll bet this is about uh, the client fees, the client uh, payments as well. And that's when we kind of put it into high gear.
0: By all accounts, Tom won just a ton of cases and he seemed to have so much success. So why did he even have to do this? Why did he steal from clients?
5: There are some competing theories about that. and I'm not even sure that Tom himself could answer that question. Pierce O'Donnell, uh, he's known the only guy since the 1980s, personally and
1: professionally, and he's really conflicted. As a screenwriter, I could write any one of the scenarios, uh, plausibly, I think, and maybe a mixture of all of them. Some people want to blame the wife and all that. You know, um, she's his wife and she had a career and he loved her and he wanted to support his career. Was it lavish? I don't know. Look, the first time he didn't pay a lawyer, he owed money to. First time is when it began. You owe somebody money and you don't pay it. And when you don't, the first client you don't pay, you owe money to. So it's a slippery slope, isn't it? I mean, once you get on that slope, it, just a question is how fast are you gonna go down that slope? And how many bad decisions are you gonna make along the way? And we know it's been described as a Ponzi scheme, right? You've taken this person's money. So you got to go get this money over here. and We're going to put it there. And then, you know, at the end of the time, you run, as I said, you run out of runway. You run out of time. And people's lives have been destroyed. People should have gotten money. People that were already victims. Family members die in a plane crash or uh, whatever toxic tort or whatever it is. And there's no justification. But if you look at at these situations, you know, once you cross the line, you've crossed the line. And I don't think the people go back.
0: Evidence shows Tom Girardi was likely stealing from clients for decades. But how could that kind of grift go unchecked for so long? Next time on The Fall of Tom Girardi, we look at the ways the system failed Tom's victims. Law360 explores the fall of Tom Girardi. is hosted by me, Amber McKinney, and produced by Stephen Trader, our investigative reporter on the Girardi scandal. And a key to this podcast is Brandon Lowry. We'd also like to thank features reporter Ryan Boyson for his work on the Girardi stories that we've used in building this show. Our graphic designer, Chris Yates, and one more big thanks to Steve Trader who edited this podcast. Also, a big shout out to the entire Law360 newsroom of reporters whose contributions make projects like these possible.